Hey everyone, this is Matt General with 420 Ministries. I hope that you enjoyed this week's teaching on Hebrews chapter six as we dive into an extremely challenging and theologically thought-provoking portion of scripture. I pray that if there's anything that you take away from this message, it would be the security and the confidence and the joy that we can take in our salvation that is constant and consistent because of the blood of Jesus. Love you all and bless you as you listen. Praise God. So before we transition here and we get ready to jump into our message for the night, um, we have, we've had some pretty incredible opportunities. By the way, worship team, thank you guys. Paige, Ethan, thank you guys for leading. Thank you. Um, we've had some, a, a pretty incredible opportunity on Monday of this week of where we were able to send um, a, worship, a worship team up to uh, Purdue University for an event that happens with like their, their, their Christian campus ministries located on the campus there. And we were able to send a, an incredible team up there um, to lead worship, minister to the students, and, and really just kind of pour their hearts out. And there was some really just beautiful, fascinating things that had happened. I wanted to invite up uh, Bentley and Paige to actually just share a little bit of just, um, you guys can decide who goes first. <laughs> Paige is ready. So, so I just want to invite them up to share what they experienced, the things, that they, yes, and you have, you have to come up and share it up here. <laughs> Hi. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so that's my second year that I've gotten to do that um, with the 420 crew. And I don't know, I think this year I was just so amazed at the unity um, and the power in the unity um, in the body when we all come together. All the different pastors, campus ministries, um, people speaking different languages. I was just like undone. Um, at what the Lord was doing, and I didn't even like really exactly know what he was doing, but you could just feel um, in the area that we were, like his presence and his power, um, and yeah, I was just so thankful and just caught up in gratitude for that he like, he chose us like to get to be a part of that redemption story in some small capacity, um, and like that's what we get to do for the rest of our life, is to, is to bring his glory and um to make him known and yeah i'm just so thankful that we get to do that every once in a while and um yeah my heart was just really heavy for the students um just to come awake and alive to just to know him um i just i felt him so strongly just wanting and longing to know his kids and so yeah it was just a beautiful time of intercession and and seeing people give their lives to the Lord and getting a chance to be a part of that and see that happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Bentley, come on up, man. Conrad also was going to have a testimony to share. Yeah, so uh, Monday was my first first time actually getting to go. Um, I'd heard about it a lot from um, Kingdom Collective. If anybody knows that, it's a church in Fort Wayne that was kind of with 420 there. Um, But I'd heard about it. A little bit, and I have some friends up at Purdue, so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna give it a shot, I'm gonna go. I know the guys at 420 now, like I feel comfortable going. And so I went, and one thing that was on my heart the whole time that we were there was something that, um, his name's David Detweiler from Kingdom Collective up in Fort Wayne had said um, about a month or two ago while we were up there, is he, had, he had heard from the Lord, and the Lord told him like, do you believe that my blood is strong enough and powerful enough to cover an entire generation? And Monday night was that on display. It was, it was the Lord's blood literally pouring out over an entire generation of college students. And it was, it was incredible, it was powerful. Um, and there were just several, several things that um, ministered to my heart as, as it took place was, um, at the end there was, an, there was an altar call and one of my friends, Colt, he, got, he actually gave the gospel presentation um, for that. And I'm pretty sure Jeff said his sister ended up going up and giving her life to Christ um, at that meeting and like it's just incredible and then um, I remember like the first couple people that came through were in the very back to, to come up and receive receive Christ into their lives and it was it was almost as if they were barreling through to get to Jesus and it was like in my mind I was just like this is what it's all about like right here people pursuing Jesus so strongly that they're pushing through a crowd 
literally like the woman with the issue of blood, pushing people aside to get to the front and receive Christ. And there were just so many instances of getting to pray with people, like getting to pray for healing. Like, like I had a vision of a lady with a boot, and there was one woman with a boot in the entire facility, wherever we were at, and so I got to pray with her. Um, there was another guy that um, I got to pray with, um, and the Lord just wrecked him. Like, the Lord gave me words of knowledge and some prophecy to speak over him, and this guy was on the ground just for about 15 minutes just bawling because whatever the Lord was doing was incredible in his life, and just there was just so much happening for, for the kingdom of God and just so much, um, so much power in that and so much uh, restoration, I feel like. And it was just so unifying to see it all happen. And I know I, know I heard Sierra over talking, I overheard her talking to Taylor um, a couple nights ago or something, telling, telling her some of the crazy stories that she had had. And so if you guys want more stories, like Sierra's got some of them too. Like she saw some amazing things happen as well. So it was, it was just a powerful night. Sierra, can we peer pressure you to come up and share, share one of your favorite ones? Yeah, one of your favorite ones. Yeah. Hi, guys. Um, so the one I'm going to share is a story of healing. Um, and so like a quick backstory, I honestly don't like praying healing over people, <laughs> mainly because I've tried it time and time again, and the Lord didn't come through. And so it kind of just like made me lose like faith and like praying healing over people. I'm like, that's for someone else. Like if they need healing, they need to go to Jeff or Matt or someone, but not me. And um, so we had one up there. There's like so people to pray for you. And then the guy was just like, yeah, and if you want physical healing, like you come up for prayer. And I'm like, oh. I was just like, Lord, please don't let nobody come to me for healing. <laughs> and um, lo and behold, the very first girl I, that comes up to me, she wanted prayer for healing. I'm just like, oh, Lord. Um, and so, like, she had, like, this pain in the back of her ear, and it was, like, super swollen. It gave her migraines and stuff. But, like, the Lord healed the pain, but the swelling was still there. And I'm just like, man, oh. That sucks. Um, and then there was like another lady who came up to me and she just had like some pain in her neck, like some really bad pain because she had a concussion. And she's like, yeah, I just want to pray uh, any healing of my neck. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, so like I prayed for her and I was just like, Lord, um, just heal, you know, just like praying over her. And then I was like, how does it feel? She's like, well, I don't know. I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I, honestly, I just lost a lot of hope. I'm not even gonna lie. My faith was just like, it hit rock bottom. Um, but then I was like, at the end of the service, um, I was helping load up some stuff with some friends. And the, the girl that I prayed for healing over, she like ran up to me and literally jumped in my arms. And she's like, the pain is gone. I'm healed, I'm healed. And I was like, what? And I was just like super overwhelmed just with the love and joy of the Lord. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, finally. And so that, that literally gave me a lot of hope. So that was cool. Yes, I love it. I love it. Rab, Rabbi Jeffrey, do you have one? You had, you had one you wanted to share? <laughs> just, I, I prayed with about six students, but student after student would come up to me and, and, um, they didn't even have testimonies to share. They would just start crying because they, they, like, as soon as they started talking, they said, I've never felt the presence of God like this before. And um, the kid that you know, Colt, his sister came up to me just bawling. She said, I've been running from God. It's time to, to rededicate my life to him. I had about four of those students, just student after student, would just come up and cry about feeling the presence of God like they had never felt before and uh, a few of them rededicating their lives to the Lord. So that was a common theme. And I just looked to my left and right, and just students are on the floor and crying, and it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful night. I was so proud of our team, um, and it was so fun to be with Kingdom Collective and uh, the, the Campus House at Purdue, um, and that's the first of many times that we will all be together in the same place. So, Yeah, praise God, yeah. Celebrate the Lord, yeah, come on, come on. That's awesome. And if you guys want, there is just a couple of announcement-related items. Um, there, I, I'm forgetting now when the actual event, when the actual event is. Um, that same group, Kingdom Collective, do you guys remember when we hosted um, a guy named Eric Gilmore? I know, many, I know many of you were here for that. So 
Um, Eric Gilmore is going to be with Kingdom Collective. I don't even have the picture now. September 10th, that's what it is. September 10th, up at Kingdom Collective in Fort Wayne. If you guys are wanting to go be a part of something that um, will just be, it will bless you incredibly, I would encourage you to make every effort that you can to be up at the Eric Gilmore service with Kingdom Collective on September 10th. And then also one other announcement that we have before we jump into scripture. Um, our next women's night, we have been, um, we, we feel like as, the, as we are intentionally trying to take, take steps, Joe Miller, what's up man, it's good to see you. Um, as we are intentionally taking steps to build a family and then let a ministry be built around a family, we feel like the Lord has given us context for that through men's and women's nights that we are now starting to do. Um, we, we just had our first um, men's event. It was amazing. We had an absolute blast. If you were there for it, we loved it. If you weren't there, we missed you. We wished you could have been a part of it. But we've been having women's nights that have been going on for the past couple of months now. They've been amazing. The next one is going to be September 2nd at 7 p.m. Yeah, I said, did I not say women's? Okay. <laughs> Women, women's event. Women's event. Yes. <clears throat> Um, yeah, so September 2nd at 7 p.m. If you want to know how do I go to that and how do I get more information on that, Liz right back here, um, you can make sure that she has your contact information um, or Taylor Pointer. Taylor and Scott are not here tonight, but you can also reach out to her and she will give you all the information. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an amazing time. I would encourage you to please go to that. Awesome. Well, praise God for those testimonies, yeah? It's amazing, amazing. Well, hey, how about this? Before we dive into Hebrews chapter 6, let's just bow our heads, lift our heads, just close your eyes, leave your eyes open, and let's just focus on the Lord for a minute as we, as we get ready to continue on in worship, but we just focus our hearts on him. So just take a deep breath, just close your eyes, I'm not looking at me, I'm not looking at a watch or a phone or distraction on your left or right. And with me right now, just take a deep breath in. Just a deep breath in. And a slow exhale out. Just slowly breathe out. Just take another deep breath in. And a slow exhale out. And as you're breathing right now, I want you to imagine that you are breathing in the very presence of Jesus that is with you always, hovering over you always, with you always, abiding with you constantly. You are a branch connected to the vine, connected to the tree of eternal life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. And the Spirit of the Lord lives in you. So you sit in freedom right now. You sit in freedom right now. I don't care what your, what your week has looked like, what the hours leading up to you coming here tonight has looked like, what you have in a work day or, or a weekend going into tomorrow. You sit in freedom and life right now and you cannot get away from it. You cannot get away from it. Just feel yourself just slow down into the present presence of Jesus Christ right now. Just one more. Just take a deep breath in through your nose. And then out through your mouth. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you let us gather. We get to gather here together on nights like tonight. We get to open up your word and read and encounter. Holy Spirit, I need you so, I need you so badly. Let my breath and my breathing even be in reverence to the fear of the Lord. Let every word and every syllable that is spoken tonight as direct or as hard as it needs to be with what you have for tonight in Hebrews chapter 6, let it lead us to the ministry of reconciliation which every person in this room has been called to. Jesus, help us understand. 
lead us into revelation. I pray that over the atmosphere in the spirit of the room right now that the prince of the power of the air would have no authority, no room, and no permission to take this word, to pervert it, to distort it, or to lead anyone at all, at any moment in time, into condemnation at all. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to encounter you and be with you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. That is one of Conrad's new favorite words right now, is amen. <laughs> yes, dude, amen. All right, if you can open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. So there's a couple of things. As we dive into this word tonight, and as we get ready to discover and read through Hebrews chapter 6, I want to read through this. I've been trying to do this with everything that we have been doing and everything that we have been going through. But um, I really want to take this section of Scripture very slowly and very, very, very intentionally tonight. Um, it has been said, Hebrews chapter 6 is oftentimes one of the most um, hated and most confused sections of Scripture in all of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 6. Um, when you do research from different theologians of, of different things that theologians say about the book of Hebrews and the New Testament and all of Scripture altogether, many of them say that Hebrews chapter 6 is the most often misunderstood. It is the section of Scripture that most oftentimes leads people into condemnation rather than life. And it is a scripture that people have wrestled with to the point of even saying, I just, I wish it wasn't even included in, in, in from, from Old and New Testament. I just, I wish it just wasn't even in there. But as we read slowly through it, I need you guys to remember something that the book of Hebrews, for context of this, remember, what is Hebrews? Hebrews is a, it's a letter. It's not, it's not just a random book of the Bible. It is a letter. Author is unknown. Many people assume that it's Paul, but it is a letter and you have to understand, otherwise this is not going to make sense to us tonight. And Hebrews is written to a group of men and women that are new Christ followers. They're coming out of Judaism, and they are under, and by the way, they are facing extreme persecution. Extr like, their, their repentance and their walk of faith, it is not going well for them so far. And, and, and this author, uh, the author of Hebrews, is writing to them to encourage them, to warn them, and to honestly spur them on in a healthy fear of the Lord. And, and, and we'll see it at the end of it if we get to it. When we read the beginning of Hebrews, we have to understand that this is the author inviting these, these former Jews, these Hebrews, into a revelation of salvation that is constant and not conditional upon works. Does that make sense when I say that? So last week, Nathaniel was here, and Nathaniel preached an awesome message on the beauty of discipleship and what practical discipleship looks like in communities. The week before that, we were in Hebrews talking about the faith rest life, learning to live in rest, learning to live in a constant, ongoing experience with the Lord. I absolutely loved teaching that message, by the way. It's one of my favorite ones that, we've, that I've been able to have the privilege of teaching in this series. And so I just want to, um, I need to be very vulnerable with you guys right now. I have wrestled with this section of scripture. I have wrestled with this all week. I've wrestled with this all week. I've wrestled with how to present it. I've wrestled with um, what are the right words to use. And I'll be completely honest. I have wrestled with, it's, it would be very easy to be seeker sensitive, to step and tiptoe around it and not really say what it is saying for the sake of, 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 of stroking your itching ears rather than delivering truth that sometimes comes as a very hot and hard sword to divide joint from marrow, spirit from soul, to bring correction and truth. And in a day and age where we have people walking away from their faith, walking away from the goodness of Jesus, I, I, I guarantee some place in that foundation of, 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 of waywardness and orphanhood 
was a, a compromising presentation of truth came in and then was accepted somewhere, somewhere along the line. We took what truth is, we didn't really like what that representation of truth was, so we, we repackaged it in a way that it can make sense to us, and then we represent it outside of the spirit, outside of holiness, outside of reverence, and we wonder why we have people being led astray, not understanding the gospel. And there's a couple of statements that I'm going to say tonight. Um, I, 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 I try to teach from my heart 100% of the time. 100% of the time, that's the way that I believe we are called to live. That is the way that I believe Jesus wants us to love him. If you want my opinions and my thoughts and my theological standing on that, I'd be more than happy to give it to you. But I'm going to make some statements tonight in this message that if they bump up against your theological grid of, hey, that's, like, that's a very blatant theological statement. I'm not totally sure I agree with that then let's have a conversation at the end, at the end of this service. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's dive into it. But I ask that we let the word interpret the word for itself. Amen? Amen. Okay. Enough, enough of that. Hebrews chapter 6. We're just going to immediately dive in. So let us stop going over the basic teachings. Uh, by the way, if you have a phone and you're reading on your phone, I'm in the New Living Translation if you want to program your phone to that. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Now, as we're closing out Hebrews chapter 5, the end of 5 going into 6, the author is saying, hey, I'm wanting to take you to a place that in your hearts and in your spirits, you are not ready to inherit yet. You are not ready. It's not because they were not willing, but it was because there was not a fear of the Lord that was stewarded in their hearts to receive truth in a way that, that I, I keep wanting to say Paul, even though, he's not, even though he's not the author, but it's just, it's assumed that he's the author. There's truth that is wanting to be offered to these people that essentially their hearts do not have capacity for yet. It's, it would almost be like if you got two different pieces of furniture from Ikea and you get these two couches from Ikea, they look the same, they kind of look identical, but really they are totally different when it comes to the hardware that you use to put them together, you would see it as, oh, why can't these things go together? Because at the gut of it, at the core of it, the hardware is off and the hardware is not right. The hardware cannot support the original blueprint for what is trying to come across. You, get, you start building it and you're like, this is breaking down, this is not working. I've got nails instead of screws. I've got a Phillips head screwdriver instead of a flathead screwdriver. Nothing, nothing of this is working. So the guts of them they were immature, there was a lack of the fear of the Lord, and they could not be trusted with what Paul really wanted to take them in, which was deeper and more complex truth of the gospel message and of God's kingdom realm to come. He was essentially saying, hey, these, these basic things that are elementary for you, you should, be, we should, you should be teachers to everyone in your own tribe at this point in time, but yet you fail to grasp the basic principles of what has been offered to you. So if you're wanting the context of what is he talking about, moving on to further truth, what is, what is going on with this? What does he mean exactly? That is what is being explained. Now here, I want to dive into this. We're going to sit in this section of scripture and we're going to read through it slowly. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. Now, if we stop reading right there, that's bad news for everyone in this room. That's like, that sucks for everyone here. We're gonna keep reading here in just a minute. There's a couple of things 
that I, I, if you guys have ever listened to me before, ever on a Thursday night, I need you to listen to me now and I need you to hear this now. Out of the time that I spent in digging apart this section of scripture, whether it's looking at different commentaries, looking at different theologians, looking at this person, this person, and this person say this, shocker, none of them agree with each other. And there's not one unified opinion across the board. If you decide to do your homework on this tonight and you leave here and dive into this on your own, it is said that Paul was writing in three different lanes of thought concerning this section of scripture. He's either writing to believers who are fully saved, fully convinced that Jesus is Lord, have fully made a decision, Jesus is the Christ, he is the Son of God, he died, rose again, and is coming back. I'm a born-again, new covenant Christian. He's either talking in that lane, he's talking in the lane of people that simply heard the gospel message, were like, oh, this is fun, I will incorporate this into my life for a better life, I will make Jesus um, an accessory, but not Lord of my life. And there's many people, by the way, that will be in that place, and, and specifically, at the, at the end of the, at, of the gospel presentation, I'm looking, I'm looking for, this ber- for this verse right here. Stay with me really quick. Oh, man. In Matthew 7, 22, it even says there's going to be many people at the end of their lives that say, Lord, did we not do all these beautiful, marvelous, and amazing things? A couple of weeks ago, I taught, we talked about the miraculous and a culture of miracles, healing, words of knowledge, prophecy, the, the things that are the incredible love languages of the Holy Spirit. All of those things, 100% accurate for today, 100%. To disregard the person of the Holy Spirit and say it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, and we bench the Holy Spirit, is to blaspheme the whole Trinity. You cannot do it, and we should not do it. There's a healthy fear of the Lord for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But what did I say in that message is that the things that come off of God, miracles, signs, wonders, they do not deserve the bended knee. They do not deserve the sacrifice of praise. It is Yahweh and Yahweh alone. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And Jesus performs miraculous works because he himself is miraculous in his very nature. But there are people that because Jesus cares so much about honoring his name, the confession of the gospel, there are people that will demonstrate the power of God and they will never truly know him. They may know him, listen now, they may know him, but they will not know him. They may incorporate him in. I may talk the right way, pray the right way. I may, I may even know how to pray for the sick and lay my hands on the sick and see them recover in, in the right way. But you, don't, you, do, you go into the secret place and you do not know him. There's no intimate relationship. He's just your boss and you are just his employee and you seek to live a moral life. We talked about morals last week as well, that we are not invited into a moral life. The gospel is not moral living. This is not a gospel of right and wrong, rules and regulations. It is a gospel of spirit and truth and the faith rest life. Are you all still with me right now? So the other lane is Paul must be talking to people that are essentially nominal. They're not really saved. They're kind of saved, but not really. And then the other lane of thought is simply, hey, he's just talking to people. They heard the gospel message and they literally said, I do not want that. I will take Judaism. I will take animal sacrifices. I will take certain days, certain mountains, certain places, certain people of worship. I will take a priest that is a mediator between me and God. I want to exclude Jesus and bench him. Uh, this Christianity, this Jesus, this Christ has been presented to me. Don't want it. Not interested in it. I, I don't want anything to do with it. He's either talking to those people. So one of those three lanes are the lanes that the author is addressing. This has been studied, and this section of scripture alone, people have given years. Imagine giving years of your life to digest five pieces of scripture. There's people that have done it. If you want my honest opinion, I truly believe that this section of scripture, and I would like for you to consider for yourselves tonight, this section of scripture is 100% talking to born-again, spirit-filled Christ followers. I, I personally believe this section of scripture is addressing the New Testament church. If you would like to know why I believe that and why I believe that it, it puts us in this position, 
when, when, the, when Scripture says, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, that word enlightened means it is the same exact word that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. God's light will come into the believer, reveal all darkness, bringing them unto repentance. It's the same exact word. When you go back to 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, 4 through 6, that word enlightened, same thing, same meaning, referring to, this, to the same New Testament church, the same believers that were once lost and that have come into the new covenant, same thing. And then that other word, when, when we start, and we start talking about those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, other, other translations may say, have tasted of heavenly gifts, tasted of the things of Holy Spirit, that word tasted is a Greek word named gul, G-E-U-O-M-A-I. I know it sounds nothing like what you would think it is, but honestly, what Greek word does sound like it's supposed to? Gul, it literally means to participate fully within, to participate fully within, to be fully wrapped up into. I want, to, I want to explain this other verse really quick. It is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. I believe that this is represented to Christians because when, we, when you simply go through, look at what, what are these words originally saying, what is the context of who is being addressed here, I personally believe you cannot have a life of where you have shared in the things of the Holy Spirit and not say that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And the mark of a Christian, if you say, how do I know that I'm saved? If you're just walking around, how do I know that I'm saved? If someone came up to you on the street and just said, how do you know that you're saved? And you don't have to answer this right now, but how, how would you answer that? What would you say to that? Scripture is very clear that it says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But the end of John also says, it is by the filling and presence and proof of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer that proves your salvation. So it is the fact that you are filled with someone that is no longer you. There's a 2 Corinthians Reality that has taken place of an old nature being crucified and a new nature being alive. You know that you're saved because of your confession. Jesus is Lord. He is my Lord. He is God. I am filled with the Holy Spirit, not because of righteous works which I have done, but because of righteous works that He has done. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are received by faith. Every single one of you in here has faith, so you have received of that Holy Spirit. How much, you, how much you see of that activity of the Holy Spirit in your life is completely up to you of how much you make yourself available to him. There's a reason as to why the gifts of the Holy Spirit are called gifts. They're called grace gifts. It's how much of that, this world will I see in this one because of the laying down and surrendering of my faith. You know that you are saved because with the confession of your mouth and the belief in your heart, Jesus is the Son of God. I've said this quote before. One of my favorite quotes from Smith Wigglesworth is, God made the, the gospel message so simple and so easy, and he wanted his kids back so badly, he says, period, simply believe, period. If the gospel was boiled down to, I have to do this to get this, that is not salvation. It is not salvation. Salvation has nothing to do with you. Hear me tonight on this. Salvation has nothing to do with you. If it does, then it's not that impressive and it's not good news because it is dependent on a frail, fragile, and broken human being rather than an all-sufficient, lovesick, completely whole Savior. Amen? <laughs> yes, come ahead, amen. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. There's a popular argument that likes to go around and circulate in the church today. Men that know this love letter, men and women that know this love letter way better than I do, 
these types of conversations I, are reserved for the likes of them. And, but there's a popular argument that goes around of the message of salvation. Can it be lost or is it eternally secure? And what do we do? What do we do with, with the whole message of am I eternally secure? Is my salvation dependent upon works? What if I fall away? I mean, after all, we're reading, what does it say? I mean, it is, it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding them up in public shame. First thing I need to tell you, Hebrews chapter 6 is not a message of how you can lose or will you lose your salvation. And I'm, and I'm here to tell you, if you don't like this, you're a big boys and girls, you'll get over it. <laughs> to say that you can lose your salvation is a blasphemy to the gospel. It is a blasphemy to the gospel. You cannot and will never lose your salvation. I've heard people swear up and down, sideways, left and right, give their lives to prove your salvation is fickle, frail, and temporary. Last time I checked, if I was to go back to the grave, he's no longer there. There'd be a throne that is blood-stained and soaked with glory because King Jesus is sitting upon it. And there would be, yes, amen, amen. There would be real holes in his hands and real holes in his feet to signify what he did for me. You cannot lose your salvation because your salvation is not up to you. All, all that you did was say yes. If it's possible for me to lose my salvation because maybe I was following the Lord for this amount of time and I fell into some type of sin struggle, sin addiction, moral affair thing. And let's just say you went like three years. There's a, there was, there's a, a close friend. I shouldn't really say a close friend. There was a, an, a close acquaintance in my life at this time. He was a pastor of a local church. And um, technically, I don't really know what happened in his life. I have no idea what happened in his life. I don't know how this happened. I don't know how these types of things happen. And he fell into a moral affair, completely destroyed the ministry of that, completely derailed and destroyed this local church, completely. Had children that he left, walked away from, completely destroyed his family. I had the privilege of learning and finding out that he came into a radical place of repentance, rededicated, redeclared his life to the Lord. He's back with his wife, back with his children. Their family is growing and thriving and their family is completely restored. Praise God. Praise God. So you hear that and then say, okay, well then, what the heck? Why is it impossible? Why is this bad news? We need to be careful that we do not allow a section of scripture to say what it is not saying. To say I have lost my salvation is to render the cross of absence of eternal effect. When Jesus died, it was not just for the moment, it was for eternity. Do you think your sins honestly surprise him? Do you think that your sins honestly catch him off guard? To say that as a New Testament Christian, we are a New Testament church, to say that salvation is conditional is to literally carry some of the old covenant through the torn veil into the new covenant and say, I'm gonna to try to make this work. You can't and it won't. Because the message of grace and the message of new covenant salvation flies in the face of your own dead works of righteousness because as it is written, your righteousness is as filthy rags to him. And that's a very good thing, by the way, because it literally means your efforts have nothing and can have nothing to do with it. God can do more with your death than he can with your life, so you die into the life that he has for you. And we have to remember the context of this, of this chapter is that Paul is addressing a group of men and women. They are under severe and extreme persecution. Their walks of faith, not going well for them. They are straight up not having a good time. It is going bad for them. They are wanting to leave Christianity, go back to Judaism, and say, we're going to find salvation a different way. This is, this is too hard. We were not ready for this. We want to continue. We, they want to be in lane number two. I love the things that God does. I want the miracles. I want the eternal life. 
I want the abundant supply, the prospering that he promised Abraham, which we're going to hear about in just a minute. I, I want the covenant, but I want, I want my way about it. And there's no mixture. They are, they are trying to mix two different covenants that there is only death and no life in. They want salvation through a system that is dead, old, and gone. And Paul is telling them, should you do this and fall away and deny Jesus is the Christ, not, not sacrifices that he came to fulfill, feasts that he came to fulfill, should you try to find salvation through this different way, there is no more hope for you because there is no salvation outside of Christ. There, there is no other option for you. I don't, I don't know what to offer you. It is impossible for you to repent back to something that was fulfilled here. You will be going back and repenting to nothing. It's, it's impossible. There's nothing there. There's a dead grave. There's an empty cross. And all that you have by going back this way is bondage and self-destruction and the law which leads to condemnation. Should you leave Jesus and say, I don't want him. This is not for me. Then you are doomed to hell and all eternity because there is no life outside of him. There is no life apart from him. And you would literally be going back to something that is nothing. Imagine pulling into a driveway with the most gorgeous mansion that has been built by some of the most skilled builders, but you walk in, the outside is amazing, there's fountains, gold is implanted into the frame of the house, there's like a pond of exotic fish, there's all this stuff. You open up the door to the house, you walk in, and there's, it's moldy, it's not even framed right, there's trash in all the corners, it stinks, it's falling apart, He'd be like, what the heck? Like, am I even at the right address? What is, what is going on with this? This is, what is outside is not portraying what is inside. There, there, there's no hope for this place. This is, there's nothing here. The author is extending to them saying, you have one option and you have one confession and there is one salvation unto Jesus Christ. To denounce him, refuse him, and to want nothing of him, there is no hope for you because he is not going to die again. And you cannot crucify him again. This is what is, are all of you still with me right now? Like, are we, are we together on all this? I can't even stress to you how crazy important this is. This is what this is saying when Paul says, by rejecting the son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. They are wanting to try to make an act of re-crucifixion happen in their own way, in their own light, and it cannot happen. The Son of God will not endure that shame again. It was endured once for all eternity, and he even bore it pleasurably for you. But under the condition that you give your life for it, not say, come self-improve my life. No, die to your life and take up his life. Take up your cross and follow him. And we have to understand, there have been many Christians that have read this section of Scripture and said, well, this is bad news for me. Ever since I got saved, I, I can't seem to overcome this struggle or this struggle or this struggle or this struggle. I can't seem to just get better in this area. Do not take the message of sanctification and discipleship, frame it into this verse and say, I'm one of the impossible ones. That, you, you have missed the context of the verse. You have missed the context of it. You are not Jews, unless, unless you are, and I just don't know it. If you are, then praise God, that's amazing. Shalom. <laughs> you are New Testament Christians that have a desire to live in intimacy with Jesus. You're not trying to go back to some legalistic religious system, so don't put yourself into the frame of this thinking that it was written for you. So if you're sitting there saying, okay, I hear you on that, then why the heck are we reading it if this has nothing to do with me and if this is pointing to a group of people that are not even relevant to the situation? Why even bother putting it in there? Why even bother reading it? Join me in verse chapter 7. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer... It has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Dear friends, 
Even though we are talking this way, what way? The way that we've literally just been talking for however long I've been up here teaching. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. Pause right there. We're right in the middle of, cha- of, of, of verse 9. Paul is saying, the author is saying, I, I see all of these realities. I don't believe that this applies to you. Reason, personal opinion. This is, this is my own theology coming out to you guys. Sift it, decipher it, weigh it. Take it to the Lord for yourself. The reason as to why I believe, Paul says, I do not believe this applies to you is because someone that is truly saved, I mean truly saved, has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, has been filled with the Spirit of God. I truly believe you know what it means to be saved. You want to live a life of obedience. You are not looking for compromise. Do not hear temptation. Do not hear, I'm being sanctified, I'm learning to overcome. Those are two separate things. Do not let the ink of those two different statements bleed into each other. There's a difference between, there's a difference between I have fallen and there's a, and there's a difference between I have fallen away. To say I have fallen away is a super old biblical term called apostasy. Apostasy was then was when people, they would not just deny Jesus as the Christ, they would actually then look at the works of Jesus and associate those works with the devil himself. He casts out demons because he is the prince of demons. Of course he can read their mail, of course he can give words of knowledge. He himself is a demon and he himself is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He casts out demons because he is the prince of them. It is to look at the very majestic works of Jesus and declare them as demonic and satanic. I've never heard any one of you in this room ever do that. And I'm not talking about seeing something that leaves you scratching your head wondering, man, the Lord functions in a box that I am clearly not in right now. That is outstandingly amazing. I'm not talking about seeing miracle signs and wonders that leave you scratching your head. There was a person at a house church of our community in India. She's a woman, got saved, um, didn't know how to read, write, or speak in any way. And she went to sleep one night, she gave her life to Jesus, she woke up the next morning, miraculously had the ability to talk, read, and understand her own native language and speak it. She couldn't do any one of those things before. 24 hour change, she gets saved. She started a house church, her house church expanded into like literally 30 something other house churches. That's a miracle. That is the, that's the miraculous. I don't even know how that happens. That's amazing. That's freaking awesome. I, it leaves me scratching my head. But just because I'm like, I don't, even, I don't even have a grid of understanding for that. I'm not looking at that saying, oh, that was the work of a demon. That was the work of Satan. I'm not associating something that is holy and truth with something that is demonic and wicked and evil. Are you guys hearing the differences that I'm, I'm really trying to draw the line in between tonight? Okay. Three of you. <laughs> if not, then we're all going to need counseling at the end of this section. <laughs> My mom's a certified counselor. She's here tonight. She can help us. Okay. Let's just start at nine again. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. Stop right there. Everyone in here say, God is not unjust. You are not an ant. You are not an ant underneath a magnifying glass of God's torturing hand screaming, God cut me a break. God cut me slack. You were warned in John chapter 16, you're gonna have crap that you deal with in this life. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What sets the standard and what sets the temperature for your problems? An overcoming nature of a risen savior or life that you yield to allowing life to define you rather than promises of Jesus? God is not unjust. And if we really wanted to dig ourselves into a theological hole, since we're already there, let's just continue to go there. When we read in Scripture God's chosen ones, God's predestined ones, 
those, those chosen people. You read that in Ephesians and Romans all the time. God does not live life and eternity walking down a line of race, sex, age, whatever, and say, hell, 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 heaven, 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 hell, heaven, heaven. Uh, maybe if you shape up, you're going to get in. That would be a Calvinistic doctrine, and the Calvinistic doctrine places limits on a limitless Savior. To say that someone is predestined, an easy way to understand this. My son, Conrad, he's going to grow up one day. He's going to make his own decisions. He's going to get a real job where he makes his own money, his own living, his own family. He's going to have his own life. To that point, he's my responsibility. I, at this moment, Brandy and I, have predestined that he goes to college. We're going to do everything that we can, that it is paid for, it is covered. He wants and lacks nothing. It is predestined right now that he goes to college. We want him to go. That is a decision we have made. You're going to go to college. If all of a sudden he changes his mind and says, hey, I'm not doing that. I want to do this, or I'm going to change this. If it's a legitimate reason, I'm going to talk about it with him. If it's not a legit legitimate reason... I'm helping, his, I'm helping him pack his bags because <laughs> he's going. But in that, Conrad still has a decision that he gets to make in light of what is in my heart for him. Brandy and I may have it predestined. Hey, he's going to college. Like we're, set, we're already setting aside money. We're setting aside this fund. This is what is in our hearts for him. He can turn whatever, whatever the age now is that you go to college. He can turn 18, 19 and say, actually, I don't want to go. I don't want to do it. He can refuse the offer. It still doesn't change that it was in my heart. It's still in my heart. I want him to go to college. I will not take that off the table. It's not, it's even if he was to say at 30 years old and come back to me, hey, I actually really want to go back to school now. I want to do this. Cool. Offer was never off the table. It was never off the table. That was always there for you. It's there if you want it. Let's, let's go. You'll just be a 30-year-old freshman. <laughs> or, or whatever. But it's still on the table. We cannot read sections of Scripture like this with finite minds when they call us up to an infinite level of understanding. Jesus, fully God, fully man, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, view eternity in a spectrum of a second. They are outside of time, not in it. They, whenever the Lord comes to you, the reason as to why he constantly calls you into identity is because Jesus is constantly coming from your future into your present. That is why he never speaks to behavior. He always speaks to identity because he's been at the end of the journey and he knows what you look like, praise God. And he knows what your destiny is and he knows the woman and man that you are. And he's already been there. He's already seen it. He's already discovered it. And he is loving you into your future. He is loving you through your sanctification. He is perfecting forever those that are being sanctified. It is a journey. It is a process. It is a process. Sorry, I thought the batteries died. And within, within that statement... Jesus stands at the beginning and end of eternity and he is fully aware that there will be those that will reject him. Otherwise, in Matthew 24, Matthew 25, we would not be reading about a tribulation that is coming. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. He is coming back and there's a bride that is on the welcoming team to celebrate and usher in his coming. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. He is coming back, praise God. In that message is not turn or burn. It is not fire or brimstone. It is a celebration of a king just, holy, and righteous that is coming to get his kids back. But I need to tell you this. There is a truthful and hard reality. If you do not know him, and you have said no to him, and you regard Jesus, the Son of God, as not Savior and not Lord, and you push yourself away from him and say, he is not for me, I do not want anything to do for this, 
I do not want anything to do with him, you will not find salvation outside of him. There's these crazy, crazy doctrines going around today of Christian universalism. Every road leads to God. No, it really doesn't. You will go to hell if you don't know him. And I'm not smacking you upside the head. This is not a heavy-handed message. This is just, this is truth. This is real. You are responsible for your life. You're responsible for your life. You're responsible for your confession. You are not responsible for your salvation. That's upon someone else. If you think you're responsible for your salvation, that's probably why you're struggling with legalism. Because you, you think way too highly of yourself. Let go, give in, surrender, and willfully let the waves of grace overtake you into the new covenant. There's a book called The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. Oh my gosh, what's the author? And I'm blanking on the author. And she says, we cannot climb, we cannot earn, we cannot achieve, we cannot accomplish. We can simply only receive. It's talking about the message of salvation, this gospel. The author is explaining to a group of very hurting people, I don't want you to depart from this faith. Please do not depart from this faith. If you do, I can't help you. <clears throat> For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. For example, I'm in verse 13. There was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply you and your descendants beyond number, beyond number. When Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised, now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. I'm in verse 17. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Stop right there. This is the author trying to, he's not, I mean, not trying, he is. He is telling them, hey, in the Old Testament, I made this oath, I made this agreement, I made this covenant with Abraham. I was foreshadowing everything. I gave my word, I would not change that. In the words of, of the great Billy Graham, God sends no man to hell. God sends no man to hell. Man goes by his own free choice. Hell was not even created for man. Hell, hell was created for Satan and his demons. It is a very real place, and very real people will go there. Some of the nicest humanitarians and pacifists will go there. Because they have looked at Jesus and said, nope, I don't want it. It was offered to them, presented to them. Maybe, maybe they even played around and flirted with the idea of salvation after a while, but they just said, no, I, I don't want this. It is, it is not for me. I'm not going in this direction. God bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise, a.k.a. you guys, you can be perfectly sure that he will never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. I love that. Therefore, we're almost done. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Do you see why it's so important that we kept on reading? This hope 
is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary, not carrying any Old Testament, Old Covenant with you. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's the whole chapter. You cannot read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, without reading Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, assure us of our salvation. John chapter 5, verse 24, assures us of our salvation. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, assures you of your salvation and how easy it is, by the way, to receive that salvation. God desires that no man should perish, but that everyone should come unto everlasting and eternal life. He does not tarry and is not slow as some men think he is slow but he is patient in his loving kindness, desiring that none should perish. Praise God for 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And Romans 10, 9, confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart that he is Lord. I shared it at the beginning, I'll share it again. A righteous man may fall seven times. In other words, it may, it may say, you may spend countless times falling Falling, falling, and learning, and being sanctified, and learning to grow, and stepping into the reality of a finished work. But the righteous man may fall seven times, but he will rise again. We, we do not come to God because we are perfect. We come to God and he makes us perfect. We do not come to God because we are perfect. We come to God and he makes us perfect. And our salvation is rest assured in the life of the believer because of a risen Savior named Jesus Christ. I feel like that was a shotgun of information and a bunch of different stuff. Are you all good? Are you with me? Are we all still alive? Awesome. Stand to your feet with me. Whenever you open up scripture and, and you get to, a, and you get to a, a difficult portion of scripture that is difficult and challenging and hard to read, you have to filter it through the lens of Jesus and you have to filter it through where, where do I see Jesus in this section of scripture? Where is Jesus in this? Because Jesus Christ is perfect theology. And he is the only one that scripture should be understood and viewed through. If you leave here tonight and you're thinking of, I've been struggling with this, I've been struggling with that. Hebrews chapter 6, specifically the end of it, reveals your salvation is secure. And any Christian's life that says, my salvation is maybe, it's so-so, I, I can lose it, I might lose it. You've just put a ton of unneeded and unkingdom pressure upon yourself. Leave here tonight. I'm so serious about this. Leave here tonight fully convinced God cannot lie. God does not disappoint. God has made a covenant and an oath that he has sworn with his own name on the gift of your salvation, which you have stepped into and you are sealed with because of the blood of Jesus. And I urge you, do not depart from the truth. Outside of that grace and outside of hope, there is eternal damnation. And there is a judgment that is coming that the Lord desires no one be in. But love always requires a choice. There's two trees in the garden for a reason. Love will always require a choice. If it didn't require a choice, that would be slavery. And God does not have prostitutes. He has sons and daughters that he freely invites into relationship. Amen? Amen? Jesus, thank you for your word tonight. 
Help us see hope in these verses. Yes, help us heed a warning that if we were to depart from you, if we were to turn our backs on you, if we were to look at you and say, no, not for me, there is no hope, and it's impossible to to try to find salvation in that type of place. Impossible. Because hope rests in you and in you alone. Jesus, we love you. I pray that protection over anyone's hearts and minds as they leave here tonight. They wouldn't go anywhere weird mentally. They wouldn't fall into any traps or schemes of the enemy, but they would know I'm being sanctified. I'm in a a process of sanctification. I'm learning, I am growing, and I am overcoming. I want to be a Peter, not a Judas. Even if I fall, I will expect and wait for redemption with breakfast on a beachfront as Peter got not with a noose around our necks like Judas. I thank you for Peter's in this room. One of Jesus' first lessons to the apostle Peter was not how many dead he could raise or how many sick he could heal. It was how quickly can you get back up after failure? How quickly can you get back up after failure? Because I'm waiting for you. And he doesn't wait with a hand smacking you upside the head or a screaming voice in your face, he waits with breakfast over a fire on a beachfront saying, come and feed my lambs. Come be a part of my church. Redemption and salvation is waiting for you. We honor your holiness. We honor your truth. Holy Spirit, if there's anything that I have shared tonight that would be unbiblical, that would be untrue, deal with me accordingly, deal with us accordingly, and bring correction in any way that correction needs to come if I screwed something up or thwarted anything. We entrust ourselves to you. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all, if you uh, came here tonight needing prayer, you would like prayer, as always, please come up to the altar. The altar is open. Someone will come up and pray with you. If not, we will see you all next week. And yeah, if you want someone to have your contact information for the women's and men's nights, see Liz in the back or Jeff Clay and I or see uh, Cade and Bentley to give your contact information to them. Love you guys.